This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Hello, welcome. You're listening to Your Money here on Sirius XM's Business Radio, Channel 132. That's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smith, as a professor here at Wharton Campus in Philadelphia. Remember, you are live every Tuesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. That's not 7 p.m. anymore. Remember, I've cut back the length of the show from two hours to one hour. You just give me time to do, do all the other things I have to do in my uh, you know, professor life here. But the purpose of the show always remains the same. is simply to help you make better decisions with your own money. Just don't wait till the second hour. There's no second hour anymore. So if you got a question, uh, give me a call here at one eight four four work and that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And remember, you also can connect with me online by going to my website, countonmoney.com. So today I'm joined by two great guests. Uh, first will be Fred Amrine, who is the founder and CEO of Pay4Ed. Again, that's pay4ed.com. And we're going to be talking about college planning and student loan debt. Uh, certainly a hot topic in the news. And later in the show, welcome back to the show, Katie Brewer um, of the, uh, the um, RIA, uh, Your Richest Life. And we'll be just taking general financial planning questions. So if you want to know how to invest your money, how to save for retirement, kids, college, paying down debt and buying life insurance, you really need that life insurance policy, your cousin's trying to sell you, really anything about your money. Uh, maybe grandma just left you a bunch of money. Um, you want to know what to do with it. it really, uh, your money is the show's name. So we're, that's what we're uh, focusing on is what to do with your money. And live on Tuesday, so again, I'll be here for just an hour now. So give me a call uh, here at one eight four four work and that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And we'll talk about your own situation. Uh, remember, you only have to give us your first name and the state you're calling from for so never a reason to be nervous or shy, and thousands of other listeners will benefit hearing the advice given to you about your own financial needs. So again, live on Tuesday is from 5 to 6 p.m., just for an hour. So give us a call here. We'll answer your question uh, about your own money situation here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. With that, let me introduce my first uh, guest. It's uh, Fred Amrine, who's the founder and CEO of Pay4Ed.com, and he's a re- recognized uh, national expert in the uh, entire college funding and student loan payment uh, uh, space, and has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Money Magazine, U.S. News, and many others. Welcome to the show, Fred. Hey, Ken. How are you today? Good. If you have a question for Fred, about, especially about college plans, student debt, again, live on Tuesday, so give us a call here at one eight four four work and that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And so, uh, Fred, let's uh, f- first just talk about some common mistakes that people make in you know uh, uh, repaying their student loans. What's kind of the most common mistake that you see? I think maybe one of the most common mistakes is um, not understanding the cash flow and all the options that you may have. Uh, so the federal programs, again, your debt structure uh, will drive your loan repayment options. And especially for those young millennials who maybe, you know, a lot of changes could be happening. So you've gotten out of school or maybe you finished grad school and you're in your 20s and now you're going to be getting married and other things like other life events and, and you make some decisions. Um, there's been a trend that's happened starting in 2016 where more students, for a variety of reasons, are moving to what's called the income-driven repayment methods. Yeah. So we have a traditional mindset of looking at interest rates and terms uh, to pay back debt. Um, with this transition to income-driven repayment methods, 
Um, what you need to change is how your taxes are structured, how you fire taxes, and managing your AGI right. numbers. All right. And so let's again, talk about some of these options here, uh, the repay uh, loan repayment option and some of the other income-driven repayment options. Uh, talk about the repay in particular, and just for listeners out there, that's R-E-P-A-Y-E, the repay option. Explain what that is and uh, how does it differ for some of the other income-driven repayment methods? So with um, repay, the biggest difference there is that you can't you receive no benefit for filing taxes married in joint, or sorry, married in separate. So you receive no benefit there, and that's a function of the timing. Some of the confusion is um, the federal program, federal loan repayment programs, were designed for the timing of the debt. So if you have older uh, federal loans, and now uh, you want to use one of the income-driven repayment methods. Uh, if you have older loans prior, prior, you can't use the married and separate advantage where pay as you earn, your debt is newer, and you will qualify. Now, the advantage to using repay yeah. is that it does qualify for public loan forgiveness. So, again, if you qualify for your, based on your employer, um, that's still a great option, but you don't get the benefit of uh, following married and separate like some of the other methods. Sure, but e- e- there's some benefit if you have limited income and, and so forth. Uh, is it t- tend to be, you know, uh, uh, the repay option tend to be a little bit more generous in terms of lower repayments relative to the, the, the other income-based uh, repayment methods? The biggest difference there on the repay is um, that um, it's 10% versus IVR is 15. Yeah. Uh, so that is the, the biggest advantage between those two versions. The, the difference uh, with, with that, again, is you don't have that modeling separate. Sure, I yeah. Think, um, a big issue that um, people come across, we see this periodically, uh, is that the loan services have a tendency to put you in the lowest repayment method, which, again, especially if you're having some hard financial times, um, and they don't recognize that they have what's called negative amortization, where yeah. their monthly payment is not covering the actual interest charge. So, yeah. so if someone says, oh, I've been making a payment of $300 a month for the last you know, two or three years, and, and my, but my loan balance keeps on going up, well, yeah. Yeah. that's because they don't see how what their interest charge is. Yeah, and, 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 our tool, yeah. and we, negative, we that. Yeah, and negative arm loans, you know, and for, unfortunately they exist in this space, but they've you know, been around the housing markets and so forth. People don't realize you're not even making full interest uh, payments, and so your principal is going up. Again, speaking of Fred Amrine, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Pay4Ed.com. Again, talking about college f- uh, uh, financial planning and, and student debt. If you've got a question here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Muhammad calling from Illinois. How can I help you, Muhammad? Hi, um, I have a question for you. Is that I'm I live in Illinois, and we have Bright Start College funding. Yeah, and the and two times a year to take the money out and put it in like uh, I guess money market or just cash and if you think a recession is coming is this a good time to do that uh, okay so you're breaking up can you quickly repeat the question uh, you said you take them so, uh, we live in Illinois we have bright start and yeah. apparently you're allowed twice a year to take the money out and put it in cash instead of in their funds if you think a recession is coming is this a good time to take the money out and then reinvest it later are you familiar, uh, Fred, with the Bright Start? So uh, I'm not the exact details of Bright Start. Um, I am not the details, but let me make some general comments in that space. Um, with 529 plans yeah. and the overall, you know, if you think you're trying to time the market. Um, you only get to make two, if it's in a 529 plan, you only get to make two changes a year is one issue that you may face. 
Um, another problem, especially for um, people who want to move to a more conservative, so the age-based programs, if we see an uptick in interest rates, along with maybe a downturn in the market, you could be in a very awkward position no matter where you go, um, unless you're going to put into a money market. Or some plans do offer some um, bond options, and you could create a bond ladder within the 529 plan. So it really depends what your options are at the plan you're at and what it benefits the states have for you as a resident or just as a, an investor. Yeah, and the 529 plan in Bright Start is one of these. Uh, it's just a branding of the Illinois 529 plan. That several states use the same branding. Uh, but it is a 529 plan. States don't have to offer it. It's not like uh, 401k. Um, but if they do offer it, it is offered under various rules. And typically, um, you, you aren't making withdrawals except under extreme uh, cases uh, unless you're actually paying for education expenses. So what you would be doing, Mohammed, if you're, you know, if you don't have a big enough emergency account um, uh, in order to weatherproof kind of recession that's coming up, yeah, you may not want to make as big of a 529 contribution this year, but that's really kind of a function that you didn't have a big enough emergency account uh, uh, to begin with. But it's usually not about making withdrawals from the 529 plan. It's really about just not making a contribution uh, this year. And one should really prioritize uh, having an emergency account and then your own retirement before you start uh, uh, adding 529 contributions. So thanks so much for calling, Mohammed. And again, speaking of Fred Amrine, who's uh, founder and CEO of PayForEd.com, uh, and uh, we're talking about college plan and student debt here. And uh, so, uh, of course, uh, Fred, we talked a lot about in this show many times in the past, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And uh, t- t- talk about a little bit about how that's, that's impacted the education funding space. So uh, directly related to the 529 plans, you, you're able to yeah. um, now you know use that 529 money for other uh, qualified expenses for education. Yeah, it's K limited through 12. Ten thousand yeah. dollars yeah. uh, for both uh, elementary and uh, high school. So that's a, yeah. a new big change uh, that has happened. Um, some of the other things that were talked about that were going to be lost um, did not happen. Uh, so an example is the student loan interest deduction yeah. uh, was proposed to, to be lost. Uh, that did not go away. And we still have the American Opportunity Credit. So most of the things stayed the way they were supposed to. The biggest issue that's coming up on the, on the legislation side is, is really the Higher Education Act should be renewed um, in, in the next year or so. Um, and that will, what's being discussed uh, could have some significant impact um, on the borrowing abilities of, of some of the families, and especially for graduate school. Um, and for parents. So that will be an important uh, issue that's coming up also. Yeah, and we already talked a little bit about the ne- negative amortization and the, the problems with that. Um, and it's, it, like you said, there's a, a lot of gimmicks out there, and people often don't realize the lowest you know, paying one is not always the smartest, especially if you're building up principal, not even paying the full interest. Let's talk about consolidation, because you hear about that uh, a lot. I mean, there's lots of private loan consolidation companies. Sometimes they're Putting you into negative amortization. Sometimes, you know, there's costs associated with that. Um, but you know, sometimes people think, "Hey, I got I got got loans from different places. Maybe I should consolidate them, make it simpler, et cetera, et cetera." And hey, I'm being told my monthly payment's gone down. What do you think about those? So again, this is where you have to understand, um, as I said, your type of debt. Um, yeah. So are they federal loans versus private loans? Um, federal loans will offer the most amount of flexibility on your repayment and loan forgiveness. Um, right. you know, and again, a lot of times people are facing life changes. Um, when you do a refinance or, or a consolidation of your loans to the private world, one, 
you can't go back to the federal side, so that becomes an issue. Yeah. And, you know, especially, you know, you're in that age bracket where a lot of people are going through life changes, so they're maybe going to try to buy a house or start a family. Um, and now they may be going to work part-time for a little bit of time. When you're in the private consolidations, you really are limited to your repayment methods and where the federal programs would offer some benefits um, that the private side does not offer. Now you're locked into that you know, fixed payment for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah. And um, so that's a, a big issue um, yeah. that's happening. Let me just go back and talk, uh, Ken, on, on yeah. the one. The negative amortization is okay um, if you qualify for public loan forgiveness. So sure. As long as you know that's going to happen. Now, granted, that's a long track. It's a, you know, 120 on-time payments. Yeah. But um, the negative amortization is still okay if you have it. Um, but if, if you're in the traditional not going to qualify for that, um, that's where it becomes a bad thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you jumped, uh, you pointed it out. I mean, there are sometimes ways that came in the system, uh, you can, uh, depending on how you think about it. But, yes, in particular, you can lower your interest rate or lower your payment and if you have the, um, debt forgiveness. It's, a, you know, like you said earlier, gave some hints to it. It's a very complicated process, and I, and I know that's what you guys at pay for ed Dot com help people think through. It's a very complicated, all the different options and so forth. Uh, it, yeah. Go ahead. Let me just the, yeah. the we just our, our new tool that's on the student loan repayment side yeah. for the young married couples right now, especially with the recently married couples yeah. um, who got married last year. Um, the married couple faces, as we talked about, the income-driven repayment methods. Mm-hmm. They actually have 126 different options to pick from. Mm. So married, filed, and joint, married and separate, um, and how the debt is structured will then have an impact. So that's where again a lot of the confusion is. And, and where the, a lot of the advice on the tax side, uh, they're focusing on lowering your taxes, the student loan repairs are trying to lower your payments, and they don't have your overall best interest. Um, that's not easily visible, which I, that's what we, we do with our tool. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and you know, no, it's, and, and no question there's value there. Helping people think through this really amorphous you know, uh, uh, space. Um, and, and so we talked a little bit about, you know, certainly if you have a federal loan and you uh, consolidate into a private loan, you will lose a lot of the option value associated with a federal loan. Uh, it's basically public policy being converted into a contract at that point. And, you know, another uh, issue that sometimes people face is getting a parent or somebody else to co-sign, maybe your uncle, to co-sign uh, a student loan. Um, obviously, there's risk uh, that uh, the co-signer that, that they they face. Uh, is you know, Talk about some of that. And is there ever, you know, of course, student loans can't be discharged in bankruptcy. If they could, of course, people would just graduate, declare bankruptcy, and start fresh. Uh, but what about the co-signers? Uh, are, there, are they always stuck? Are there ever exceptions to that? So, again, this gets into when you make that decision. Um, we've, we're sorting through the lenders right now. As, you know, we're, we're lining those up. And, and one of the things we are looking for is the co-signer release. Um, mm-hmm. This could be a parent, an uncle, family member. And depending on the program and, and plan or the lender, um, they will vary greatly. Some are, are 36 months. Um, again, your debt-to-income ratios are all important on, on where they are. Um, so that's one important part. Um, another important part for young married couples um, where this becomes another issue, if if they are married and now, you know, they want to refinance that loan, um, you really, in most cases, don't want to have the spouse to co-sign, um, because what happens if that that if they do that, when they go to apply for the mortgage and buy the house, that 
be ha- because the debt is in both their names, because the cosigner is now it's going to show up on their credit report, yeah. um, it will become a problem for a debt-to-income ratio for them to qualify for a mortgage. So uh, that's something else for that young married couple or a couple that's looking, doesn't have to be young, that's looking to buy that house and, and maybe a spouse has you know, student loans. You want to maybe be careful about co-signing for your spouse's loans for not just the mortgage, but a few other reasons. If we get divorced, there could be other issues that can happen. Yeah. So you need to be careful there. Yeah. Excellent. Fred, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, Ken, thanks so much for having me. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.